The Friday GAA Podcast, with thanks to GAA Go, official home for live and on-demand GAA match streaming worldwide. Goal on here, goal chance for Conor McGrath, surely give it in, Conor. Mackie heading it towards the 21 metre line. Keep Mackie chance. still going. Go on, goal up. is up for Cats. I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. Will stick in your mind at the champions who showed car. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. A small change before the game, work the street. <laughs> Been a look, Donovan Connerback. Wild effort on goal. It's on the board. Equalizer. Okay, you're very welcome to the first of our GAA podcast. You'll have them every Friday afternoon. Uh, thanks to our good friends at Board Gosh, proud sponsors of the All Ireland Under 21 Hurling Championships. They are our GA sponsors here on Off the Ball. Dave McIntyre here. Tommy, Dave, hello there. How you doing? Owen Sheehan, hello, sir. How's it going? So it's the first of many, even though the championship is five or six weeks old. Yeah. And as I was chatting with Joe, and I think it was on the news round Tuesday nights off the ball, I said to him that it had been the worst start to a football or hurling championship that I can ever recall, and I'm 36 years old. So that certainly pertains to us as well. I, I think when you look at the football championship in particular, we look at Ulster as this beacon of hope. Yeah. And what is it, 1963 was the last time you have to go back to uh, an Ulster championship, which at this point had a bigger disparity between the winners and the losers mm, of Jesus. each of the games. That figure of 11 points on average uh, as the winning margin has been thrown around all this week. And it, it just illuminates this big gulf in class between a big three and the rest in Ulster, which is the last thing anybody ever wanted yeah. in terms of the football championship. It was the one, the, the one light at the end of the tunnel when it came to this time of the season that we could look at Ulster and say, right, at least we have some sort of competitiveness. And that seems to be totally wiped away already. But even in Ulster, it's been bizarre because if you look at last weekend's whitewash of down, that was two, in terms of 2016, that's yeah. two Division 1 teams playing each other. I know. The previous weekend, we had two Division 2 sides playing each other. I know Cavan are now Division 1 and Armagh yeah, Division yeah. 3, but they played in the same division this season. And yet, there are huge margins of victory for both the teams. It's been the same in Leinster, apart from... The only competitive game was Kildare-Wexford and that was one of the worst games I've ever seen. The same situation has been in Connacht apart from New York-Roscommon which defies belief. And um, there hasn't really been a hugely competitive game in Munster either. Limerick stayed with Clare for as long as they could but never looked like they were going to win the game. And Tommy, I look back at championships gone by. I know the championship has always had its issues. Yeah. But I don't think it's looking back with rose-tinted glasses to say that the championship was far more competitive only five or six years ago. Oh, absolutely. I, like, I've, I've tried so hard in the month of May to, um, to get excited for these games. And I've honestly, I've been trying, you know, the day of it, be like, yes, going to see some good football here today. We're going we're gonna to see, you know, I want to watch Monaghan play well. But you don't want to see Monaghan walking through down in that second no. half with nothing stopping them. Um, you know, the, as you said, the New York game was the only competitive game, and that would have just been an absolute, you know, shock of the century. But we had in, um, say, three years ago, we had Donegal Tyrone maybe kicking off the championship. That was that was something to, to whet the that whet the appetite to get excited for. But there's just been nothing this year. Like we tried to pinpoint something. Um, it was the hurling. It was um, Clare 
last weekend. Clare Waterford last weekend. But we've seen Clare Waterford in the league twice a year, this year already. And Waterford blew them away in the last 15, 20 minutes. Like, we've had nothing so far. But even so, more remarkably on that is two weeks previous to that, you'd cork tip. Yeah. Which previously would have been like, right, this is an amazing start. The traditional classics. Yeah. and Such a drab game. And we weren't even surprised by that. Perhaps last week we were surprised by how badly Clare showed up. Mm. They were just awful. But we didn't actually expect much from Cork, which is a really sad statement yeah. to make. And I know that's a separate situation in how they're faring this, this summer. But it's taken until last weekend to get excited. And when there's that much expectancy on one game, and if that one game falls down, then suddenly the whole thing just feels like a house of card, cards that's collapsed in front of you, which has just been the last month. Like, what's left to look forward to at the minute over the next month? Like, So this weekend we have the Munster semi-finals. We've got Leinster quarterfinals. We've got, um, I suppose, Galway Mayo might be a game, but then uh, Galway could just destroy Mayo in that game as well. In the, in you mean fight the other way around? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Mayo, Mayo could that absolutely would be interesting. walk through Galway. Like, you but Connacht could be interesting. I mean, could Sligo be. could give Ross Common a game this weekend because they gave them a serious game last year. They did, yeah. If you look at the Connacht Championship seven or eight years ago, it was the most competitive pro- province of the country. Like mm. You had four different winners over a five-year period, you'd Sligo, Roscommon, Galway and Mayo, yeah. all winning the Connacht Championship, which was quite incredible. Was if you go back 10 years to Leinster, you had Westmead, Offaly, over, over a 10-year period, you had Mead, Westmead, Leash, Offaly, Dublin, Kildare, all winning the Leinster Championship. And we know how competitive Ulster's been over the years. It's just so depressing. It really is. What have we to look forward to over the coming weeks? You might get one or two decent provincial finals. Cork Kerry might be a half-decent game. Mayo Roscommon if that's the matchup mm. could be half decent Tyrone Donegal potentially in an Ulster final could be reasonably interesting that's it though 20 games until we get that though oh, I know. 20 games of nothing 20 games of trying really to care and then a whole rake of qualifiers that nobody bothered going to Yeah, and they used to say the championship really started in the bank holiday weekend well if you look at the evidence of 2015 it didn't start until the All-Ireland semi-finals yeah. I, I know I, I totally take this point and I totally agree with the fact that this is a total mess and nobody should in their right mind be interested in this but is there a sense of underappreciation on our part of these big teams like you mentioned however many different Leinster winners however many different Connacht winners but how many All-Ireland winners came out of those provinces during those great periods so to speak from those provincial uh, games none yeah. It was it was a Munster winner or, or an Ulster winner throughout that fallow period. Um, so perhaps on the flip side, and I know your point about the semi-finals being the real start of the championship, which is probably true. At least the one light at the end of the tunnel is that the semi-finals are going to be amazing. At least you've got these four big hitters, five big hitters. If you if you in- include Donegal Tyrone as as the two from north from the north then suddenly you're going to have an amazing set of semi-finals, which people aren't exactly talking about. And I get the fact that's totally wrong, that we're looking that <laughs> why, far. Why would, we looking, August, why would we be looking at that now? Like, the championship, like, these guys are giving up their nine months of their lives, 11 months of their lives to play football. Um, you've got lads in Westmead, lads in Longford, lads all over the country, in Leitrim, everywhere, training from, you know, whatever, December, November, January, you know, whatever, like. And they're training, they're putting everything in. And what are they getting from it? They're well, getting speaking of which, a hammering, and then they're getting knocked out in the qualifiers. It's was a statement released today by yeah. the Leash footballer Gary Walsh. This is ridiculous. Gary's been kicked off the Leash panel basically because he was not best pleased about being withdrawn by Mick Lillis in the defeat to Dublin last weekend. 
The statement goes as follows. Started training last November with Leash. My year came to an end last night with a phone call. After 150 sessions, I missed one and my commitment to the team was questioned because I let a few Fs out of me after being taken off against Dublin, which I was wrong to do, but at the time I was frustrated. I'm even more frustrated now as I've given up time my son, girlfriend and family for the last eight months just to be tossed to the curb. It was like the phone call cost no thought. Let's teach this lad a lesson. Nothing about the 150 sessions or the years dedicated to Leash before that. And now I'll miss the qualifiers. It doesn't add up. Gutted, to say the least. Now, there are two sides to every story. We don't have Mick Lillis and his response to this statement. (laughs) But if it's even remotely true what Gary Welch is saying, Mick Lillis should be ashamed of himself. Incredible. Because it's a despicable way to treat an amateur sports person who has basically put his life and career on hold to play for a below-average football team that have absolutely no chance of winning anything this year. I'm not surprised that Gary Walsh is so upset by this. I'm upset by it. And once we see the weaker sides, the mid-range sides losing in the provincial championships, how many of them just decide that they couldn't be arse sticking around for the qualifiers and head off to the States? Gary Walsh wasn't doing that. No. He wanted to stick around and play in them. And they've got rid of him. Well, Evan O'Carroll, another leash manager's gone off to the States. He's not going to be there for the qualifier next week. But can you blame him? Like, listening to Gary's or reading Gary's words there, it's the way he lays it out that he's 150 sessions. Um... Putting away, missing time with his son, missing time with his girlfriend, missing time with his family. I'm sure he's losing out in time at work. Like, we, we all see how that happens. And it's for nothing. He's getting nothing in return, not even respect. Like, obviously, okay, you're losing against Dublin. You've, you've put in all this work. Leash have, Leash have known for a long time. Once they got over Wicklow, they're going to be playing Dublin. They knew they had to put a, do something remarkable to beat them. And you're in that game and you're getting them back to a certain point and Leash were never really in it after the second, first 15 seconds. But... You're going to be frustrated. And we've always been there, whether you play junior B football, junior C football, county minor, whatever it's been, you can get frustrated in the heat of the moment, mm. in the middle of summer, and you can let words out, put your hands up and say, listen, out of order, blah, blah, blah. I've done it. I did it last week. But like, you know, Everyone's been taken off when call. they felt they were contributing to the game. Yeah. I mean, that's what should have been done here is that the first night back, Mick Lillis pulls him aside and says, look, we were not impressed with the way you behaved coming off the weekend. Understand that we're frustrated, but we're trying to build some unity here. We're trying to build something that we can take forward. And look, I'd have serious cons- uh, reluctance to start you in the, ne- in the first qualifier after the way you kind of treated the, your teammates mm. and the management team when you left the field. And I don't think Gary Walsh would have been able to have a huge amount of difficulty with that. Mm. But to just cut him from the panel after all he's put in. And, you know, we were talking about the amount of players that just walk away because they couldn't be bothered giving the commitment anymore. You see that? Why would they? We've seen it in Down. We've seen it in Longford. We're hearing about Galway, uh, 52 players. Ross Common, sure, two or three there, boys. Gone like off, a guy come off the against, bench against uh, Ron Day, he's gone. But them two lads. Brothers could, already over there. Looking at the Ross Common team this weekend, them two boys could be starting no problem yeah. whatsoever. But, like, so, they're, 20, if, um, they're 21, I just wonder, I wonder how, what Mick Lillis would feel if after a, a pretty average performance against Wicklow and then losing to Dublin, the county board and the chairman rang him and said, look, Mick, I know you've put in 150 sessions since you took the job there at the end of last year, but look, you're not going to get to um, manage the team for the rest of the championship. How would he feel? But hey, look at the way it's happening in Leash as well. You've got Anthony Coningham coming in there. He's taking a session, seems That's to be running the job. Stuff. Shane Curran's been brought in as a goalkeeping coach. It seems like Mick Lillis, I don't know if he's been undermined or if he's, if, what his role is in there, like, but you know, Cunningham seems to be doing a lot now in there. Well, this is not a way the way to treat any of your players and if Mick Lillis is an indication of the way that other managers behave 
well it's no wonder there's so many of these players don't want to play for their county anymore I think we should move on because I'm starting to get angrier and angrier as this discussion yeah. goes on alright let's talk about some of the games lads our live game we might as well start with that it's Sligo Roscommon on Sunday afternoon Connacht semi-final last two seasons Sligo have been the last team to play in the football championship after this Sunday only Galway and Mayo or sorry Mayo have played in London only Galway and Mead won't have played in the football championship. In fact, Mead kick off and throw in at three thirty on yeah, Sunday, don't they? So it'll yeah. actually only Second be Galway. So in three, year, three years in a row, they've been in the last two teams to play in the championship. They've had to sit back and watch six, seven weeks of championship football before they actually get to throw up themselves. Get a lot of club games played. I, I see a, a lot of people. I think it was Peter Canavan actually writing today about the loud situation and how that huge gap just totally checks the momentum. Even worse than that, it kills the momentum and. It's all because of the fact that the county board want to get a lot of club games played off. And while I totally agree with his point in principle, I think this whole gap and this allowance to play those club games is a great thing because we're going to be having this this, this discussion later on in the year. It is a total cycle and we we can predict what the back pages are going to look like in November, December when we see a team from, I don't know, the the back arse of Clare having to play 120 games in the space of 24 (laughs) hours and they haven't got the 2016 County Championship final played until Christmas Day in 2017 or something like that. We'll see all those sort of stories and the reasons why they pop up is because of this really small gap between the league and the championship. Now, I don't know how... Sligo County Board have been operating with that but surely on this year by year basis if they've had this two years before then the one positive from this is that perhaps Sligo County Board got a lot of their league games played um, got mo- I'd say they could probably get most of the county championship played as well in, in the run up the, to this game but I commentated for TV on last year's game it was a brilliant game it was yeah and it was probably the only shock in the entire championship was it I can't recall another one Kildare against Cork Kildare beating Cork was another but Sligo got their tactics completely right now. Crew had them re- in really good shape. And for that reason, I think, and the fact that Roscommon already have two games under their belt, it's very difficult to see Roscommon getting caught again, isn't it? Is. it? And uh, as we said last night, we had Tommy Brahney and James Horn on last night. Sligo have been so low key this year. You haven't really heard that. And fair enough, last year would have been the same. But I loved what Crew did last year with Niall Murphy and uh, Keane Brahney in midfield. And he bypassed them in the kickouts. But the lads were brilliant. Put direct ball into Pat Hughes. David Kelly was a live wire in there. Adrian Marham was dropping a little further out and he was kicking scores. It was a really good system. He took a gamble and it worked. Like, does he have the players in his arsenal to take another gamble, a different gamble, to mix it up again? I don't know if he can. Like, Roscommon, they sh- should be well aware of the way they set up, Sligo set up last year. And, you know, they're probably going to do the same this year. I'd be very surprised if Roscommon go with the same midfield, to be honest. Um... Mm. You know, Roscommon are kind of lacking their, their main midfielders. James McDermott's about 29. He's come in this year. He's done quite well. But, like, you know, Cahill Shine will be starting there. Higgins will be starting there if he was fit. Um, Niall Daly will more than likely play around midfield. But I'd say Roscommon put another runner in midfield. I don't know who it'll be. Um, and that would just open the door for a Sligo to put the ball in the air, surely, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, like, you know, Roscommon can compete there. Like, Fintan Craig is a big man and can compete under kickouts. Daly can compete on kick, under kickouts too, but. I don't know. I don't think like are Sligo going to put the ball in the air? Have the the players to put the ball? I in don't the air? know. Unless you're putting someone like Keen Brehan in a far more advanced position, I'm not sure they do. I mean, Marin is well able to win his own ball, but like he's not. No, a big, not over your he's head. He's a tall like. man. No. Pat Hughes is another really strong runner. He's and a guy forward, who's able like, to, to win forward. his ball, but there, it's such an experienced Sligo team. There's only one championship debutante, and Charlie Harrison is back. Same wing forward, an all star. He's named on the wings. You'd wonder, you'd wonder where he'll play, mm. and there are so many players that were part of that winning team last season 
I don't know. I think Sligo will give Roscommon a run for their money, but it's it looks like it'll be a home victory. It absolutely will. But I think even if you look back to the wake up call that that game left for Roscommon last summer and their kind of half a bounce back, and John Evans came on off the ball really smug afterwards. Mm. Have they used up all that bounce back ability to, to use that word? Has the shock of this of that awful defeat to Sligo last year been used up in that qualifier path last year? And and in terms of using things up, how hard have they gone on this league campaign? This amazing journey they went on, training from the middle of autumn last year, as we've all heard, training earlier than anybody else in Division One. Like, what impact does that have on on Ross Common? Have they already burnt the candle at both ends just because of the fact they want to stay in Division One? I wouldn't say so. I'd say that if Ross Common were to go further this year, their starting fifteen will look a lot different than it is right there. I'd say you have six, seven changes. Um, they have a lot of lads who've been out injured during the league, and they've they've actually managed them very well. They sent them away. Go get your surgery done. Go get your rehab done. You're not training when you're half injured when you're quarter injured. They've done that very well. Um, you're starting to see the two Smith brothers coming back. Um, Cahill Compton is back Cahill Shine is back in the panel hasn't played much football still have Dermot Murta to come back in as well Dermot to come back who's got one of the best left foot in the country Um, I was actually away with a few friends in Johnstown House and Enfield there two weeks ago and the Roscommon squad were there en masse on a two day training camp and they from chatting to a couple of them they they felt very confident about the Sligo game and that was two weeks ago I don't think they're going to be burnt out because they've had a little bit of a break now between the Legion (coughs) game and the Sligo game Staying in Division 1 will only give them confidence. Absolutely. And really it's all about just getting past this. They just need to win by a point on Sunday and set themselves up for a crack at Mayo or a Galway. That's our live game. Our commentary team is James Horn, Anthony Moyles and Mossy Quinn will be on the sideline. It's a four o'clock throw and we'll be presenting the second half of Sunday's Off the Ball from Dublin and Hyde Park. Obviously the first half is going to be with the boys who are in France to continue the build-up to Ireland's opening game in the Euros. Um... The other game of note, I suppose, in the football championship this weekend is in Ulster. Fermanagh, Donegal and Bally Buffet. If this was in Brewster Park, I'd actually give Fermanagh a decent chance. Well, I'm not sure I do if it's in Bally Buffet. Although that. Fermanagh are one of those teams who are building, progressing, evolving. Did you realise that Fermanagh have a remarkable record in Bally Buffet? I didn't. How often have they played there? Well, they've, they're unbeaten there. But they've only played games. twice since 1963. <laughs> 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 they were beaten since 1963, but just on 1963. 1963 was also the year that Owen mentioned earlier on where there was the biggest disparity in games in Ulster football. Is this the year? Is, is, is there something aligning here? Is Fermanagh going to catch Donegal in the hop? Who won the All-Ireland that year is, is the obvious question here because that team is 100% guaranteed to win this All-Ireland. Galway, was it? 63? Is that the, it the, the three in a row? The first of the three in a row? It might, well, it would have been the great team of the 60s anyway. But I think didn't down, Actually, no, it might have been the second. Down one in 60 and 61, didn't they? So, 60 and 61. Maybe Galway were uh, somewhere in there. But anyway. Just talk, talking about that Fermanagh team and it kind of harks back to what we were talking about with Leash earlier on and like, there's some really depressing stuff I was reading this week with Tomás Corrigan and, and it wasn't meant to be depressing or anything like that but he's just talking about this three hour round journey yeah. from Dublin back to Fermanagh to train three times a week and he's talking about it saying ah oh, maybe one more year maybe one more year like the guys what age is he 25? 24 25 he's a lovely footballer and it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that this time next year it depends how they get on. They could well lose to Donegal and they could go out in the first round of or the second round of the, the qualifiers should they get a bad draw. And suddenly you, you've got the likes of Tomás Corrigan who's pumping over two unbelievable sideline balls. Two of the best points we've seen so far in the championship and he's seriously contemplating walking away from the game. Yeah. 
which is just a really, really sad thing. And that's not what uh, any interviews have been structured around him with. They've really been just like passing comments as if it's second nature for him to talk about this like this, um, which is which is what I took away from this whole fixture, because I actually think that this could well be, well, I, I would be very confident in the fact that this will actually be the the lowest gap between two teams in the Ulster Championship so far with an average of 11 points. I think this is going to come into single figures first of all. So that gives us some bit of hope. I think Fermanagh can actually push Donegal. I think Pete McGrath is just a really, really shrewd operator. And like we, we, we've talked a lot about Dark Alley and stuff on this show. Donegal have brought it in the past, but I think Fermanagh are well capable of bringing that. And let's not forget that they haven't just got one marquee forward, they've got two. Quickly and that, that, that can often be the downfall for a lot of these so-called lesser counties is the fact that they've only got one go-to man. They've, they've, they've got more marquee forwards than Monaghan have. <laughs> One more. Fair point. Yeah, like they stayed in Division 2 of the Football League, which is definitely something I'd say they would, they would have been chief amongst their priorities for 2016. And having done so well to come through the qualifiers and get all the way to the last eight last year, they want to run in, in Ulster. I mean, every well, you guys, I'm sure you remember as well, 2008 when they just left an Ulster Championship behind them. And... The day's going to come when the Ulster Championship will no longer exist. It has to come. Someday. Could be another yeah. 5, 10, 15 years. Fermanagh don't want to get to that day without, without having, having won it. Yeah. Themselves and Wicklow, the only teams without an Ulster Championship. Now, even if they were to beat Donegal, very hard to see them getting past Monaghan and then possibly thrown in an Ulster final. But I agree with you, Owen. I think they can run Donegal close. I don't really know what to make of Donegal at the moment. They still have very good players. But they're definitely on the other side of the hill. Mm. They've reached their peak They've gone over the top and they're on their way back down now. Well, what about the young players? Will they give the older heads a little bit of... See, we haven't seen much of them yet, you know. That, that's Oran McNeilis has broken through in the last two years. He's been absolutely fantastic, but... That's about it. They had a decent under-21 team two years ago, but we haven't... Uh, they had a decent minor team, but we haven't seen much of them. You know, Michal Carroll is a goss and has been brought through. Haven't seen much of them during the league. I mean, the fact that Michael uh, Rory Cavanagh was coming, coming back, back and straight into well, the team... That, still relying uh, on Colin Christy Toy, like no disrespect to him, what a warrior, what a servant, but Christy Toy still a key member of this squad. Neil Gallagher. Neil Gallagher, like this is, I think, Christy, he made his debut in 2002. So this is 15th season, he missed a season with injury. Michael Murphy's not an old man, but boy, that lad has a lot, a a lot, lot of mileage in the, the clock. clock. I mean, this is Michael Murphy's 10th season Unreal. at Championship, Senior That's Championship level. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And it's not like he's been standing in full forward all them years. He, like he's been out and... He's got through a shed load of work. I don't know, the, the team that got to two All-Ireland Finals in, four, in three years, is that's gone in terms of the the potential in the team. I, I think Donegal will win it, but it would be great to see a shock. Mm. It would be great to see Sly going for Manor do something special this weekend. Um, in Leinster, Mead Louth. We talked about maybe how the uh, momentum that Loud had picked up in beating Carlo might have been lost a little because it's now three weeks since yeah. that game. But I don't know. We haven't seen Mead yet. I was I was at a couple of games and were like, you at the Cavan game? I was at the Cavan game. That was just what the hell went on that day. But you know what? That's a trend. Well, it West, echoed what game. happened in the Leinster Championship last year against Westmead. It happened against Galway. Massively, they threw it away. They came back and they they actually drew that. They showed a bit of character. But it was just, it was unbelievable. So you're watching Mead in that first half, and okay, it was an open game, and Cavan had a couple of decent chances as well. Mead were good. They were, you know, they were cutting through them. They were winning primary ball. It wasn't as impressive as it was against Westmead. Like last year against Westmead in the first half, I thought Mead were brilliant. It was the best half football I've seen in a long time. Um, but against Cavan, second half comes out. It's just a complete shadow team. There's no dirty ball one. Uh, the Mead were doing the same thing they were doing in the first half. They were running to the half-back line, and Cavan were just turning them over, and four or five Cavan lads breaking forward and Mead were just they were lost they were like sheep yeah. they were breaking they were beating every breaking ball and 
10 minutes into that game, I knew it. Cavan had got it back to a draw. I was like, there's not a chance that Mead are going to win. Like, Cavan could have won by 20 points. Did a couple, Shane Johnson smashed inside the crossbar. A couple other goal chances that they missed. Like, it was it was really, really poor. It's hard to know what to make of them. I mean, can you see Loud putting s- it up to them this weekend? The thing I mean, about Loud is that... It's going to be in a tight pitch. Music Park. They've got some tasty forwards, but... I or just Parnell Park, rather. I don't think Loud's forwards or Loud's defence can... Um, can keep it up with this me team. Like I'll be honest, the me team that's named there, they have a couple of debutants. Um keep an eye out for Killian O'Sullivan. Have you watched Killian play? No. You might have seen him on minor level. Killian O'Sullivan had a pretty bad back injury a couple of years ago. Making a championship debut now at twenty two. This guy is brilliant. Okay, that'll be brilliant, interesting. Right. The way me'd have set up, they've got Harry Rooney and Andrew Tormey in midfield. I'd like to see and I've got Keen O'Brien wing forward. Keen was on the Rato team um all Ireland intermediate final this year. Lovely footballer, plays midfield, he's named wing forward. I'd like to see Biggie Riley go into the middle, Tormey go wing forward, you've got O'Brien and Tormey wing forwards, and Killian O'Sullivan coming into the centre, and that man will be the playmaker. He'll be the guy going direct for goals. He's you know, he's not small, but he's got low centre of gravity, got a brilliant left foot, really fast, really strong, really brave. He could be Mead's player of the championship this year. Um, That's Mead Laird, Owen, Westmead Offaly. Uh, and what a summer it would be for Offaly if they were to yeah. win, actually win two Leinster Championship matches, having waited so long for one. When was the last time that happened? They won back to back. Well, they got to the Leinster final in two thousand and six. Of course. So that's the last time they've been able to enjoy that. Yeah. It is remarkable, really, how that happens. But like, you look at the likes of Westmead and last year getting to a Leinster final and the yeah. the comeback to, to keep the team with Mead uh, bottling. Can I use that word uh, in big games? Like bottling's it too much. Like it's just ridiculous. Like you're gonna have to get over Mead there, Tommy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, like what, what's happened to Westmead? If Westmead lose this game, like, what a come down that's been in the space of 12 months. Yeah. Like, everybody is talking about Offaly, and I would love to see Offaly win this game. They've got a really great set of forwards. You can actually do a lot of damage had they a, a better, I don't know, the back line and midfield behind them. They're a Division 4 team now, Westmead, aren't they? Three successive relegations? Yes. No, they were like, that's just quite astonishing. I think Offaly can, get, can catch them on the hop here. I mean, they've already got the game under their belts. A decent win. They'll be so confident. Niall McNamee's playing like he's only in his second or third mm. year, despite the fact that he's gone through so much in his life on and off the pitch and all those dark days with Offaly. I think Offaly can get themselves into a Leinster semi-final. And, you know, they're on the, the easier side of the draw. I mean, they wouldn't, they don't, they don't have to play. To, you wouldn't know what could happen with this Offaly team. Platt Flanagan seems to have done an, an incredible job with them. But it seems like the perfect time for this win because what a three weeks it would be for Offaly in general, for for the GEA County. Like, only three, four weeks ago, after they'd lost their first game in the round robin in the Leinster Hurling Championship, people were talking about this booklet that was sent out a year ago that was ignored yeah. by the yeah. uh, Offaly County Board. Like, they've got through from their next game. They're into a Leinster, into a Leinster, semi-final, into a Leinster semi-final in Hurling. They could be in a Leinster semi-final in football, but in the space of 48 hours here, suddenly you're looking at Offaly and you're like, right, the the force is starting to rise again. Sleeping it's Giant the, is back. Yeah, well, hopefully they get it right. They have a lot to turn around though, in fairness. Let's move down to Munster. The days where there's a ch- seemingly a chance of Cork and Kerry being drawn against each other ahead of the provincial final. I know it's back to an open draw, but it's still not happening. Not gonna mm. happen. It's still not happening. These boys are still kept apart, yeah. which is just so awkward for the rest of the teams. We had Claire Limerick live and off the ball a couple of weeks back. wasn't Claire's best performance, but they just got back got the job done. They worry Kerry big time last year. There was only a couple of points in it heading into the last 10 minutes. That was at Cusick Park. They have to go down to Fitzgerald Stadium now. I mean, will it just be a routine Kerry win? Six to ten points? It probably will, but I just so wish it was Cork Claire. I mean, I, and you talk about... In Ennis. 
in Ennis. That would that would be a really really great game for this. I mean, what I really like about the way Claire have been setting up recently, or, or the way their training has been going, they aren't exactly focusing on pure athleticism, doing 150 training sessions just to get players at peak condition. They're really making an attempt to actually get to Kerry or Cork skill level. I mean, they brought in Mick Bohan from Dublin, who's doing a lot of work with them. There, there's talks about him working with two footballs at once, so that Clare footballers can get more comfortable on the ball. Because let's not forget, a lot of Clare people down there are used to playing <laughs> with a ball a quarter the size of what they'll be playing with on Sunday. And just creating this footballing culture, something that Bowen has been doing. He's been talking about working with Owen O'Gara before the 2013 All-Ireland Final and how he, he kicked 33 balls out of 35 off both feet. And a couple of weeks before that, he couldn't kick off his left foot at all. So that just changing the culture is something really, really encouraging uh, from Clare. Um, like, you, you can see Kerry being beaten. I mean, Eamon Fitzmaurice has brought through a lot of uh, the young lads from those last two minor teams. But a remarkable stat from Colm Keyes in the end, though, today is that Fitzmaurice has never played an under-21 player in the championship. Wow. Um, like, he, he's brought through a lot of players like Paul Murphy and Stephen O'Brien who haven't necessarily, who haven't played with uh, Kerry at minor level and he's brought them through the senior level. It must should be said, though, that his managerial term has coincided with arguably the worst tenure or the worst era of under-20 football in the history of Kerry football. It's a very good point and now the next couple of years are going to coincide with an amazing set of young players who Fitzmaurice is also very, very familiar with. He brought them to two Hogan Cups, a lot of those public school Kirk Aguina fellas and the likes of Brian O'Biogliak would be uh, the person who fits perfectly into that category. He'll more than likely be on the bench for Sunday but there's a real claim that he could actually be the first player to break Emin Fitzmaurice's under-21 duck there. <laughs> uh, I think Clare just need to play both themselves and deliver a performance that will set them up for the qualifiers. And you would love to see and you'd love to think that somewhere along the line Clare can take down a, a reasonably Plus, big fish. They do have a nice little team. A there. Division 1 team, if they were to get them at the right venue, yeah. at the right set of circumstances, they won't win on Sunday though. Is there a chance Tip could be Cork? I know it's a Tip team that have lost a couple of big names, but Cork are relegated. They're bang average. Yeah, they're relying on the same faces up front that we were for we years. We've been it. telling we ourselves it, yeah. how great they are, but really they're not great. The, the one thing that I fear with Cork, and this may seem like a cliche, but it actually could pay dividends on Sunday is that they just simply won't give Tip enough respect and tactically looking at that game I'm not sure did you watch uh, Waterford Tip but from what I've read about it from the, the brief highlights I saw of the game is that Waterford gave Tip that respect they put a sweeper in front of Michael Quinlevin mm. and his influence was stymied a little bit I don't think Cork are going to do that on Sunday and I, I don't think people realise how good Quinlevin really is Savage footballer like Cork as you said their freshness is badly wanting they brought in a lot of the under 21 players to try and freshen things up a lot of them are going uh, line out for their junior team as well on Sunday uh, but even just going back to Quinlevin uh, Declan Brown's got a column in the examiner he's been saying that they had a challenge game against Dublin recently and Quinlevin caused a wreck against that Dublin full back line really, yeah. uh, which obviously plays into two, ball, yeah. plays into two things Dublin's weakness which I'm sure we'll get to in this podcast later in the summer which is their full back line but also this guy really could be the key to a massive massive upset on Sunday that being said I'd have Clare headed uh, Tipperary in the pecking order Next year, and I know we're getting well ahead of ourselves here, but it would be so great to see Clare and Cork drawn against each other in the Munster Championship. They would both be Division 2 teams. Which we only have to wait a couple of weeks for the draws for next year, don't we? It, <laughs> yeah. it seems like the Sam Maguire has barely been taken off Bring the podium at Croke Park and we're sitting down listening to the draws. Right, that's the football for the weekend. And as I said, we're live from the from Hyde Park on Sunday afternoon. Russ Commons Sligo, 4 o'clock throw, and Anthony Moyles and James Horn will be in the commentary box with myself and Mossy will be on the sideline. So the hurling, it's tomorrow, 7 o'clock throw on a Port Leash, Dublin Kilkenny in Moore Park. 
having looked at the Gilkenny team, know Richie Hogan. And the other two go-to guys that Kilkenny fans would have been anticipating would have been there this year were Jerry Elward after his brilliant impact in 2015. Yeah. And then James Marr, who was so good in the first couple of rounds of the league and they've lost him to injury as well. I'm not calling a Dublin victory here by any manner of means because their recording is Kilkenny is so pitiful. One win going all the way back to 1942. But at the same time, if there was a day where Dublin were going to catch Kilkenny, this could be it. It could, but at the same time, you, you, you look at that team and I think it's 12 of the team who started last year's Ireland final playing and the players they've brought in, two of the three of them are Jackie Tyrrell and the other one is Lester Ryan. Yeah. Like, I mean, all oh, right, uh, we're in a bit of trouble here injury-wise. Let's bring the man who lifted yeah. Liam McCarty in 2014 back into the yeah. into the mix. So the options they have is, are obviously amazing. In terms of where Dublin could perhaps catch them, I'm really liking to look at this fellow Owen O'Donnell. The, the midfielder like he he's a massive talent he doesn't seem to be talked yeah. about that much and he, he could be given the TJ Reid marking job mm. and a lot of people are saying he could actually mute TJ Reid's stress from open play anyway and he's been brilliant for the 21s and they I think the likes of him and Keanu Callan bring such a level of confidence into the starting 15 because the Dublin minors and 21s are going so well the Kilkenny minors and 21s are already out of the championship yeah. and Dublin have had a game mm. albeit against a really poor Wexford team and it is O'More Park again, where they beat them three years ago. There's going to be some very good memories for some of these guys. This is also where they got their hammering against Galway last year, though, isn't it? It is, unfortunately. Was that, or was that O'Connor Park where they got their hiding? I think that was O'Connor Park where they got a proper right, hiding off yeah. Galway. Look, I, like I say, Kilkenny have to be favourites. Um, the way you spell it out, Owen, there's so many Kilkenny stars still in that team and they've brought in a couple of brilliant hurlers. I guess you're just looking for a shock. Mm. I don't know how we get it, but and Dublin are those kind of teams that were the same under Anthony Daly. They're the same year one of Chair Cunningham. Are they getting a different kind of system in place this year? Like are they working their wing forwards well? Um, you know, they, they they had an okay league campaign, I suppose. But I thought there was positive signs against Wexford. Um, oh, there were, but you just don't know how. I mean, how good they were, yeah. given how pathetic Wexford were in the second half in particular. But I just wonder if they could get themselves into the game early. It's not unlike Dublin to throw in a stinking performance after playing pretty well in their first game because they did it last season in the league and in the championship as well. The difference in the performance between the drawn game and the replay game against Galway were just night and day. And then again, a big change for them to be able to come out and beat Limerick mm. in the final round of the qualifiers. So I don't know what you're going to... They're going to need a huge game from Liam Rush who flatters to deceive so often. If you talk yeah. about the potential that he brought to the game at senior level five years ago, six years ago, when he made his debut in '09, has he really delivered in that one All Star in 2013 when they when they won the Leinster Championship? But he's capable of really hurting Kilkenny. It's great that they have uh, some of their big names back from injury. Is it going to be enough? I don't think so, but again, just on this point that Kilkenny just have this reservoir of amazing hurlers to bring back, like Michael Fennelly, obviously back mm. for, from the league semi-final defeat. Owen Larkin, who was serving in Syria, they bring him back. I mean, yeah. you talk about Dublin having already a game under their belts. Here's a guy who's been serving in the most war-torn country <laughs> in the world, and they bring him back to the country to play. And then Conor Fogarty being back in midfield. Again, another one of these unheralded talents in this Kilkenny side, who's just a huge boost to them in the middle of the park. And you'd imagine a lot of the puckouts would go Kilkenny's way on uh, on Saturday evening, which is just a, just a huge thing. Primary possession is going to go Kilkenny's way. I can't see Dublin winning that battle at all. And as soon as Kilkenny get that stranglehold in that area of the pitch, you're suddenly looking at damage control almost. One part aspect of it that might be influential tomorrow is that the two benches, I think Dublin have the better bench. 
because they have brought so many guys into the team this year. There's several fellows on that bench that actually will feel they should be starting. And the Kilkenny bench is very callow. There's mm. pretty much nothing there. But you know one or two of them are capable of scoring a hat-trick in an All-Ireland final or coming off the bench tomorrow night and scoring four or five points in play because they're Kilkenny hurlers and they're on the panel so they're naturally extremely talented fellas. I would love to see Dublin really run Kilkenny close but I just have a feeling it's going to go like so many of these other games this weekend like Fermanagh Donegal like um, Roscommon Sligo like Tip Cork that the, the team you expect to win will win by a few points. But it's amazing just to think how this game is actually going to unfold. If you look at Cork Clare last week, there was a clear dissection of how the tactics were going to go. Every, sorry, water for Clare. Um, everybody got stuck into Clare's short puckouts and then hopeless balls into the full forward line. Walter Walsh has been talking this week and talking, saying that it's all about hunger, not tactics for this Kenny <laughs> side. Is this going to be a really free-flowing, anti-Derek McGrath-esque sort of game? Hopefully. Hopefully. But Dublin don't tend to be involved in too many of those games. And no. When games get really open like that, Dublin tend They're to concede a, sh- a shed load of scores. Yeah. But look, we'll see. I think it has the potential to be a really good game. There's an awful lot of potential about this GA weekend, whether okay. we uh, see it delivered. Hopefully we're in better potential. form next week. Maybe we will be next Friday. Um, Owen and Tommy, thanks a million for that. Cheers, you can uh, get in touch with us on Twitter, at Off The Ball. We will be with you every Friday with our... GA podcast it's thanks to Borgosh Energy proud sponsors of the All-Ireland Under 21 Hurling Championship and uh, sponsor of all, of all our GA coverage here and off the ball enjoy the weekend's GAA and we will chat to you next week The Friday GAA podcast with thanks to GAA Go official home for live and on demand GAA match streaming worldwide goal on here goal chance for Conor McGrath surely give it in what a goal! Mackey heading it towards the 21 metre line. Keep Mackey chance. still going. Go on, your boy. Goal is up for Cats. Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly. But will stick in your mind that the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. A small change before the game, work the street. Been a look, Donovan. Wild effort on goal. It's on the